Welcome to the 274th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with Sarah Relier, author of the new novel, Playground Zero. Stay tuned for the interview. In this episode, Spotlight on an Author of Color, we have Pamela Thomas Graham. Pamela was the first black woman partner at a New York consulting firm. She's written the Ivy League mystery series featuring Nikki Chase, a black economics professor at Harvard who solves murders not just at her university, but while visiting Yale and Princeton as well. Some of Pamela's books include A Darker Shade of Crimson, Orange Crushed, and Blue Blood. Again, that's Pamela Thomas Graham. Add some of her books to your to-be-read list. And stay tuned for my interview with Sarah Relier. This episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast is brought to you by Libro.fm. Libro.fm is the first and only company which lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. Support your favorite local bookstore, and you can pick from more than 125,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers. You'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know who I'm talking about. But you'll be part of a different story, one that supports your local bookstore. If you're new to audiobooks, they're the perfect way to get more books into your busy life. If you already love audiobooks and don't know what to listen to next, check out the recommendations and curated list from the people who know audiobooks best, your local bookseller. There's a special offer now. For reading and writing podcast listeners, get three audiobooks for the price of one, $14.99, with your first month of membership. Just use the code RWPODCAST. Again, that's Libro.fm, purchasing audiobooks from your local bookstore, and use the code RWPODCAST. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Sarah Relier. Sarah's debut novel, Playground Zero, has just been published. Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Jeff. It's great to be here. Great. Well, can you read a couple of pages from your new novel, Playground Zero? Sure. I'll read a couple of pages from the middle of the novel. Then, on Sunday, her father asked if she would go for a walk. Where are we going, Dad? Just for a walk. It's a beautiful day. So he'd learned the local commonplaces, Alice thought. Though coming from him, the slogan sounded phony and jarring. She could see they were heading for Telegraph Avenue. She wondered if they would be passing the park, but her father was an uneasy presence, and there would be no asking. Contact of any kind was becoming unbearable. There was a hum whenever they found themselves alone in a room, the sound of suppressed anger. She could not remember when they'd last gone anywhere together, but here he was on a Sunday in May, offering to lead her on a walk through the forbidden zone. Maybe the park was a sign of change, and he was responding. Maybe the adventure would form a bond between them, the beginning of a new sympathy. She'd never been on Telegraph Avenue with her father alone. She could sense him moving alongside her. 
carrying her along. Why was he taking her there? Was there something he wanted, he planned to show her, something he wanted her to know? They rounded the corner of the park. They saw armed men guarding the fence, the hapless parcel of land overrun by vehicles and equipment. One hand resting on her shoulder, her father shepherded her across the street and proceeded along the edge of the park. Every few yards, they passed close by a National Guardsman. As the young man's face responded, the eyes following them, human and wary. Armed with rifles and gleaming bayonets, the men were ready for combat or for a sunny campus day. Her father had placed himself between her and the armed men, as though forming a moving barrier, ready to block, dodge, flee. She was by a scrimmage line and he was guarding her. They pressed on, ready for a move by one of the guardsmen. Then, as they passed the heavy-jawed man, the man shifted his weight and her father feared, bumping her hard. The sunny day glum glared numbly, marred by her father's fear. If only she could run home, but her father's hand was grasping her arm. Moving at a faster pace, they cleared the park and rounded the corner onto Telegraph Avenue. The army camp had faded, mirage-like, replaced by simmering anarchy and people in colorful garb. Her father was moving along in a bubble, barely glancing around as he paused and removed a copy of the Berkeley Barb from a vending machine. Here's the paper, he remarked, handing it over. Don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. Then he moved on, leaving her by the door of the jeans shop as, she, as he approached a nearby jeweler's. She unfolded the barb. On the cover was a photograph of a boy, younger than herself and seated in a swing. Up he smiled, sunny and joyful, at the overbearing body of an armed man, demanding that he leave or be uprooted and removed. Yeah, I'm going to skip down a couple of paragraphs. When her father emerged from the jewelers, he was burying something in a jeans pocket. The jeans were no longer new. He always wore them now when he was home. She wondered what he'd found in the shop, but never bothered asking, sure of an uninformative response. They were passing along the park as they'd come when her father grasped her arm roughly and dragged her by a parked car. Then he leaned and scooped up a fragment of asphalt, balancing it loosely in his palm as a nearby guardsman adjusted his bayoneted rifle. She would have run, but how could she abandon her father to the guardsman? She was staring at the man's rifle in the ugly noonday glare when her father propelled her along between the parked cars and across the asphalt no man's land to the far side of the street. There they passed an overgrown rhododendron. He tossed the rock in the rhododendron. What happened, she asked. He made no response. When she looked up, there were damp beads under his mouth and in the lines of his forehead. He made a threatening move, her father answered finally. She'd seen nothing, or maybe she'd been unaware of the meaning of things she'd seen. As they passed out of sight of the guardsman, 
Her father glanced over and then away. Do you plan to inform your mother that we came by the park? He demanded. She'll be unhappy with us both. Alice was feeling too confused to respond. Well, have it your way, he added. Okay. Great. Well, if someone listening hasn't heard about Playground Zero yet, how would you describe your debut novel? Uh, Playground Zero is a coming-of-age story set in Berkeley in the late 1960s. And it's a novel, really, for someone who has always wondered, what was it like to grow up in the 1960s in one of the epicenters of the counterculture, as Berkeley, California was? Um, Berkeley in the 1960s, it's really become a landmark place. But most of what we know about it comes from the experiences of young adults, uh, college students, you know, anti-war activists, or even teenage runaways. Um, these were people who desperately wanted to be in that environment, and they went to great lengths to get there. They were, in a sense, escapees. My book, on the other hand, is about families and children, particularly children who lived there in the environment that counterculture was creating all around them. The main character, Alice, is 10 to 13 years old. Uh, she moves to Berkeley from Washington, D.C. with her family in 1968, just when everything was exploding. She's the main character, but the story is also told through multiple points of view. Uh, that includes her family members, and it includes other children. Through the other children, we really see the whole world of Telegraph Avenue, People's Park, the Fillmore West over in San Francisco. We see the whole runaway scene, the drugs and drug dealing, the political activism, and also the, the, the conflict around People's Park, which becomes a central event in the book. Um, there's a kind of unbridled freedom and, a, and an enormous risk-taking that was part of the 60s counterculture. Uh, in that sense, I think it was is very unlike today. Um, and we see that playing out in the city streets with the police and the National Guard marching in. So and so you, you lived in Berkeley. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I, I was going to say, for the kids in the book, the counterculture really is everything. It's all they know. And Alice gets drawn into this world. Gotcha. So I know that you lived in Berkeley, California during this time. Um, when you when you were writing Playground Zero, did you do a lot of research to refresh your memory of that era? Or was a lot of it written out of your own experience? Well, really both. I, I, I did write a lot out of my own experience and, and I delved into memory a lot. Um, but I also did a lot of research, both of you know, reading and online research and also going back to Berkeley and looking around. Um, so, you know, I read books about Berkeley in the 1960s. I researched specific events that appear in the book, particularly People's Park, but also things like the Third World Liberation Front strike, which was a student strike um, that occurred shortly before People's Park. Um, so I went, I read New York Times articles. I read the Berkeley Barb, which was a local underground paper. 
that had reported extensively on all of these events, particularly People's Park. Um, I found first-person accounts online, including some that talked about child participants. I looked at photographs. You know, I did a lot of fact-checking of details. Um, and I also made a and, number And do you remember the... Yeah, I made a number of trips to Berkeley, and that was essentially you know, refreshing my memory, scouting locations, a lot of looking around, uh, choosing houses for the characters. You know, I drove certain routes. And at what point there's a, there's a, a group of young people in a car that are escaping the police. I drove that route so that I could describe it accurately. So I did a lot of, a lot of that kind of research. And do you remember the original idea or impetus that led you to write Playground Zero? Yeah, I mean, in a sense, it was a a book that I'd been waiting a long time to write. You know, it had been sort of the material for it had been in my mind for a long time. Um, my family moved to Berkeley in late 1967. At that time, I was nine years old, and I lived there for four years. And these were extremely eventful years, both for Berkeley as a city, for the counterculture, and then for me as a young as a young girl. Um, I, you know, I lived 15 minutes from the campus in Telegraph Avenue. Uh, I loved music. As a fourth grader, I would go to the record stores. Uh, there was an incredible music scene in Berkeley at that time, and it was some of it was happening live, outdoors, free. I could just wander to a city park and, and hear a lot of music, live music. Um, as you know, at 12 years old, I was going to the Fillmore with a group of friends. So there was this whole kind of interesting world going on that I was suddenly thrust into. Um, and unlike, I think, children today, we had incredible freedom. Uh, I mean, there was a dark <laughs> side to that and that there were, you know, there were riots while well, there are riots going on today as we speak. But there were, you know, there were riots. There was, there, were, there was a whole drug scene that was very pervasive. Uh, there were sexual predators. I mean, it was a very kind of complex scene with, with some very dark, elements to it. Um, you know, basically my parents gave me a rope to hang myself and I nearly did. Um, <laughs> but then, yeah, I mean, I mean, literally, I mean, then when I was 13, it was suddenly over. You know, I, I moved to an LA, an LA suburb and my time in the counterculture ended just, just like that. Um, you know, for a long time, I assumed that that place and time and my memories of it would go away. I'd grow out of it, right? Like other childhood experiences. But somehow that didn't happen. It was just a very overwhelming, overpowering set of memories. Um, and partly the, you know, the people I knew for the next decade or so really had no concept. This was kind of before there was much public memorializing of that time. And the people I knew really had no concept of what I'd experienced. Uh, some thought it was really cool, uh, but in a sense, you know, simple way. Others thought it was just crazy. You know, it was everything that they'd been protected from. Uh, and so there weren't really people who could help me understand what, what I'd experienced. Um, so much later, I realized that this was exactly what I should be writing about. And that's, that was really the impetus for this book. 
And and so what are your earliest memories of reading in books? Well, um, you know, I read obviously some of the standard children's books of the 1960s. My mother used to read to me. She read aloud to me and my brother. Um, you know, she read things like C.S. Lewis or um, yeah, books like that. I, I read yeah, books like Tom Sawyer. I, I, as a fourth or fifth grader, I got interested in Tolkien and I read the Lord of the Rings books, or at least the first one I read obsessively as a fifth grader. And it's a pretty dark book, so it kind of <laughs> it fit with the mood of some of what I was starting to experience. Um, those are some of my earliest memories of reading, yeah. And so what was the path to publication like for you for Playground Zero? Had you always wanted to write fiction? I had always read, wanted to write fiction, and as a high school student, I had actually written a novel. Um, so I'd been writing from that time in college. I wrote uh, some short, short fiction, short stories. But I, I went to Harvard, which is an extremely academic, very high-powered environment, and it's really not uh, the best environment for people in the arts. Um, there really wasn't a whole lot of time for uh, for writing writing novels. Uh, so I did write a good kind of ironic. <laughs> Yeah, at an early age. But then I, I got into the academic world. I got a PhD. Um, I did some college teaching. Uh, you know, in the meantime, I had worked in theater as a literary manager. I'd read a lot of drama. And I think uh, the structure of plays found their way into my my fiction in some ways in terms of the way I structure scenes and and, and, and sometimes the way I'm using dialogue in scenes. Uh, so I, I'd done a lot of that kind of thing as a young adult. And then I, I got a PhD. I went into academia. I took a job in Taiwan. Um, I was there for a year and I returned for really for personal reasons. My partner really was not happy with me being literally on the other side of the world. And so I came back to New York and we, you know, we really cut a deal. Uh, my partner said uh, she would support me while I wrote a novel. Um, and so I really treated a write, you know, the writing of Playground Zero as a job. You know, my partner would go to work in the morning and I would sit down at my desk. Um, you know, my partner had like a nine to five job. Um, I mean, really, it was more like a nine to eight. There were, you know, so and so, so, so did I. So I kind of treated I treated this as a job, which I think writing novels really is a job. Um, it's very time consuming. <laughs> And so what was your writing process like for Playground Zero? Did you outline the novel or write it more organically? Uh, well, I had elements of the story and place. You know, they did. Some of it is, is loosely based on, on real experiences or events. Um, so some of these event scenes had been in my mind for a long time, certainly the environment. Uh, some scenes, you know, really grew out of literally a, a remark somebody, I, you know, someone made that I remembered. Um, but no, I didn't outline the whole thing. I I started with certain scenes that for me were central to the story. And it's really the middle part of the book that 
I really felt compelled to write. And some of the, uh, you know, when Alice, the parts where, where Alice is kind of wandering away from the family, some of the other parts of the book, which I, you know, I got quite excited about as I, as I began writing them, I hadn't really planned to delve that much into uh, the family context, the schools, but I found that in order to explain what happens to Alice, I really needed to look at all of that. Um, so it, it kind of grew organically in terms of what what did I need to introduce in order to explain where the story's going. And and what did you find most challenging about writing Playground Zero? Um, well, as I said, it, it does draw on a certain amount of actual experience. Um, so some of it was extremely uncomfortable to write. Uh, and I, you know, it was really coming from the most difficult period of my life or, or one of the most difficult periods and simply delving into that day after day after day was very difficult at times. It, you know, it's rewarding, it's engaging, but it's also, you know, there were times where I just really didn't want to go back into it anymore. And, you know, if I would go on vacation or something, I, I'd come back and it's like, do I really have to, you know, put myself back into those, 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 those years again? So that, that was, I think, a major challenge. And then I think with any, any novel writing, or there's a whole organizational aspect that novels are very long. There's a lot of organizational work you have to do. Um, that was also challenging. Um, and then simply developing, you know, I think of it as a toolkit that a writer develops. Uh, you know, things that you, types of situations you've written about, the language you, you're using, the kinds of characters you're developing, and all of that. Um, each of those parts has to be in place. And so what writing advice would you offer for listeners who are writing their own stories and novels? Well, I think one thing that, that I've always felt, and I, I think it was confirmed in my writing for Playground Zero, writing is really not a team sport. Um, I think a lot of writing advice, advice centers around getting feedback, participating in writers' groups. And I think all of those things are very important, but at a later stage of the process. Uh, for me, definitely the early stages, the first year or, or even longer, really while I was getting the first draft together, I, I did show parts of it to, to people I knew very well, but I wasn't, I wasn't really putting it out in the world in terms of going to writers' groups. And I, I think that let me go where I needed to go with the book. Um, I mean, later you can get feedback and that's also really important just in terms of, you know, are things working or not? Uh, the other thing I would say is don't expect it to be a comfortable experience. I mean, writing can be very uncomfortable. Um, writing a book, it's really a deep process. And I think it literally changes you. It changes your brain. It changes what you know. Uh, it changes your memories. I mean, the memories I have, they're actually very different. They're now kind of as much the book as, as the reality for me. Um, so writing a novel, you know, it's really not like a stroll in the park. It's more like 
I don't know, hiking the Appalachian Trail. It's it's a difficult experience <laughs> and it's long. Uh, and your mental world is going to shift and grow as, as you engage in it. Um, and you're going to find you have to let go of certain things. You put them on the page. And once you get them out there, you actually have a different relation to the material. Um, that, so that's kind of some of the advice I would have. And so what novels or nonfiction books have you read recently that you enjoyed? Well, uh, a couple of books I read last, I think it was last November or December, were the books 1491 and 1493 uh, by Charles Mann. Now, these are, are two kind of popular history works. They're about the um, 1491. It's about the Americas. Uh, just before the Europeans came. And so it's in many ways about, I guess you could say maybe the first hemispheric pandemic, uh, you know, the cultures that were destroyed by disease primarily after the Europeans came. Um, and I found these books fascinating. And I think particularly at that time where we're dealing with a world in pandemic, they're extremely interesting Uh there's been an explosion of research and information about the cultures that, that existed at that time. Uh, so I, I found those, both of those books fascinating. 1493 is then about uh, the, the, long, the long effects of, of, that, uh, of all those changes. Um, another book that I read recently that, that I really uh, found interesting was, um, I'm a big fan of Elena Ferrante and her, her Neapolitan quartet, uh, my brilliant friend. Uh, she, there's also more recently uh, some earlier books of hers have been translated and published. Um, and there's one called Troubling Love that I res- read recently. Uh, the narrator is a young woman whose mother has died in a mysterious way. And, you know, as with Ferranti's other books, the My Brilliant Friend, there's a very difficult uh, mother-daughter relationship in, in this book. Um, and the narrator, the young woman, wants to figure out what happened to her mother. Um, so there's a kind of, you know, it's set in Naples and there's a kind of journey involving memory, false memory, discovery. Uh, a lot of it's centering around a man who was uh, important in her mother's life, kind of late in her mother's life uh, and was with her when she died. Um, so that that's another book that I've enjoyed recently. Um, a third. Great. Would be, well, uh, where can people find you? Okay, go ahead. No, that's that's okay. Um, no, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, it's, it's, it's another book I would I, I read recently was uh, Simone de Beauvoir's memoir of her her childhood and coming of age called Memories of a Dutiful Daughter. Um, so this, you know, this is someone who clearly was a, a major intellectual and and a rebel of of of, of the twentieth century, and uh, her childhood was. Uh, I mean, there were a lot of, she talks a lot about the kinds of restrictions that were placed on her as a girl at that time, uh, attending Catholic schools, uh, with highly kind of supervised, censored reading. Uh, when she was 19, her mother was still opening and reading her mail. And, and it's, it's kind of a fascinating book about someone who comes out of that environment and becomes this sort of towering uh, intellectual rebel. Um, so I, I, that's a, a, a very interesting book. Sounds interesting. 
So where can people find you online if they'd like to learn more about you and Playground Zero? Well, my website uh, is at sarahrelier.com. That's Sarah, S-A-R-A-H, Relier, R-E-L-Y-E-A.com. And there you can find other information, excerpts. Um, there's a blog. Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Sarah Relier. Sarah's debut novel, Playground Zero, is available now, so go buy a copy. And Sarah, thanks for doing this interview. Well, thanks, Jeff. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.